Our God is a good God. Amen. Amen. And it's so good to be here today to worship with you and to listen to the stories of transformation and to step in to that new series that was mentioned previously called Overcome. And uh, I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's going to be fun to walk through this series with you. Uh, Originally, I was going to plan on taking this series over the next two or three months, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, something like that. And now I've decided I just don't, we'll get to it when we get to it, right? Um, One of the things I've learned about this ministry and this church is we really don't care how long something takes. We just want to preach the Bible. And that's what we're going to be able to do and talk about a significance of what it is to live a life and the presence of God. And you're going to see that in a very real way, living life in the presence of God and what that leads to. And it leads often to us overcoming things in our life that we will see as obstacles to being and living in the presence of God. And we then see them as opportunities to reflect his glory and to see his power. And it's going to be significant to do that very thing. Um, Today, though, before we get to Joseph and his life, um, I will touch base with that a little bit at the very end, but it's kind of walking up to it. So I have a very small task. I'm going to try to give you a really good, clear, thorough summary of the entire book of Genesis today. It's going to be easy to do, right? Not a problem at all. Um, so I'm going to give you a lot of information so that I, my goal, part of it is that in two or three weeks, if a friend looks at you and says, what are you guys talking about at church? You say, oh, let me tell you, here's the story of Genesis and what it goes through. So in these next 10 minutes, I'm telling you now, if you'll listen well, write some stuff down, you'll have a very, a, a pretty good understanding of how it moves and flows. Why? Because Genesis and Exodus, I've done a series with Exodus before, um, but Genesis and Exodus are crucial. If you can grasp what's really taking place there, you grasp everything from that time to now. Um, So in order to do this, let me first, I'm going to give you six sections of how Genesis is broken down. This is broad. Don't, I'm not getting into a ton of details. In fact, I'll even give you another way of thinking uh, about two different ways to think about Genesis. Um, Four movements, four people. In Genesis 1 through 11, you have four movements. Creation, fall, restoration, and redemption. Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 12 through 50, you have four people. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All right? Everybody say Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Those are important. They're all related. One had the next, one had the next. And even Joseph as well. But you had those four people. Very, very important. But this is another way to think about it is in Genesis 1 through 4, I would say you have, you have creation and then I would even write Adam. Now, some people, yes, we are creationists. We believe God created. One of the things I always tell people like, well, what do you do with all this and with evolution and different things like that? I believe there was a creator. God is a creator. Um, and yet, and, and one of the things that people never grasp is when Adam came about, was Adam brought about as a baby or as a man? A man. I believe God created in the same manner. God created with age. It was already like he, this is just like he did a person. And it always stumps people, but it just lets you know, we're creationists. So you got Genesis 1 through 4, and you have creation, and you have Adam. Uh, Genesis 5 through 11, again, this is just general, but it moves to Noah and the flood and God's promise. You even have Tower of Babel, et cetera, in Genesis chapter 11. But um, really, this is a, a simple, a very simple way of understanding Noah, the flood, God's promise. So if you want to know, guys, if you want to know about Scripture, and, and if you really want it to transform your life, these are things you need to understand. We don't add to Scripture. We don't remove from Scripture. We know that here at Chapel Point. Um, and then it moves 
to those four people. So those first two movements are really about um, God's creation, the fall, uh, restoration, and redemption. Uh, but then Genesis 12 through 50 are about four primary people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Um, Genesis 12 through 23, you have Abraham. A lot of his story, we'll get into that in a second. Then you go into Isaac, Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 25 through 35, even 36, you're going to go into the life of uh, Jacob, where we're going to spend the majority of our time today. And then in 36 through 50, you're going, or 37 through 50 at least, you're going to look at the life of Joseph, which is really going to be our series. But we can't get there until you understand all this other stuff. I want you to be able to explain the significance of what we're speaking about and what it is to overcome all the things of this world to live in the presence of God. And in fact, if you don't recognize the significance of this, in, in Genesis chapter 1, there's 31 verses in Genesis chapter 1, and God's mentioned 30 different times. God did this, God did this, God said this, God made this, God just over and over and over. God, 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 God. And in Genesis, we are reminded that God, um, he didn't start this world tinted by sin, tinted by all the destruction and all the struggles. But when you finally get to Revelation, you also are reminded that it will not end that way either because of hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And so we open up the book of Genesis, and Genesis, I've said this for years and years, it's a simple way of thinking about the book of Genesis. Genesis is the beginning of God's work. It's the beginning of God's work to restore a sinful humanity and to reveal how he chooses to work. That's the book of Genesis, very basically speaking. Right? We, we see God stepping in and giving people free will, but choosing to use them even in their mistakes. And there you're going to hear about Man, these are some messed up people. But God chooses to use them. And you're going, well, God can't use me. And because of all the mistakes that you've made in your life and, and, and the problems that you've had in your life and the bitterness and the anger that you have in your life. And you're going to learn today. They're like, no, 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 no. God can still use you. We know God is in the business of restoration and redemption. And so we all need to be reminded of that. And so we're going to look at Genesis And the story of Joseph and everyone else that's involved to really honestly start to discover who God wants us to be and to become. It's a constant transformation that we have. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Everybody say it one more time. Here they are because God is choosing to use them and their generations to craft a people, to shape a people. And uh, when you look at Abram, he was first Abram and then Abraham, uh, I would tell you uh, Genesis chapter 12, that's where that begins. You just saw on that framing of the book of Genesis and Genesis chapter 12, two through three, this is what it says for us. It says, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name what? So that you will be a, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God tells him, hey, I'm going to multiply your descendants into a great nation whom I'm going to bless. And anybody who curses you, I'm going to curse them. They better be ready. And Genesis is really tracing God's promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through their lives and through even the life of Joseph and the next generations to follow. It just traces the promises of God. 
God begins by going to Abram, though, and we know and imagine this. This was such a good day for Abram. God comes to Abram and says, hey, I want you to get up and I want you to take your entire family. I know you're planted and rooted here. I want you to just get up and I want you to go. And Abram is like, hey, where, are we, where am I going to go? Don't worry about that. Just get up and go. I go home today and look at your loved one. And they say, hey, we're out. We're moving. And they're going to say, oh, really? Where to? And you're going to say, I don't know. If you're smart, you'll say south because it's cold. Right? But maybe he's going to say north, whatever. And we're just going to go that way. And God steps into Abram's life and does something remarkable and makes a promise to him. And God fulfilled every one of the promises. And Genesis, once again, just traces these promises through the descendants of Abraham. A theme that we find with Abram, with Isaac, with Jacob, but especially with Joseph. And I want to jump in and I'm going to tell you what it is, even though we're not talking about him a lot today. Is here's a thing that you're going to see come out in the next few months, and I hope it changes your life. You're going to see Joseph live in the presence of God and respond out of faith, even in tough circumstances. And the toughest, you're going to learn. Listen, you want to know some of the stories we're talking about? Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers because of their jealousy and the envy that they had of his life. Can you imagine? Thrown in a deep pit. They waited for a caravan to come by and they sell him into slavery. Then he finally rises up to some authority within the Potiphar's household. His wife comes on to him and he says, no, thank you. I am a righteous man of God. And she goes, fine, I'm going to lie about you. And so then he's sold off again and he's thrown into prison in Egypt. And then he rises into the ranks again, only below uh, Pharaoh. And then when his brothers approach him to get food because there's a famine in the land, he doesn't remind them of what they did to him. He just simply serves them because he loves God. It's over and over and over and over and over again that we see this man being cheated and denied so many different things. In tough circumstances, he is going to respond out of living in the promises of God, not in how he has been cheated. And too many people today are living according to how they have been wronged and cheated rather than living according to the hope that we now have that is for eternity. Right? But you don't, you don't know what happened to me. Pastor, you don't, you don't understand with my family and what they did. You don't know what my father did. He walked out. You don't know what my mom did. You don't know my financial situation. You don't know how many times. Listen, I don't know. And I'm not making light of them. I am not. I don't know your story. If you're on, I don't know your story. But what I know is this. No matter how big the problem, our God is greater. And so to live according to something that is smaller than the promises of God is cheating yourself from understanding his grace and his mercy and the hope that you can have as you walk through life. And so we process this. So in order to really even look at Joseph's life and this theme that's going to come from his life, I want us to go back and I want to look at his father. Anybody ever been told, man, you're just like your father? Anybody been told that before? Or you're just like your mom? Right, you say certain things, and um, and they're just like, oh man, the reminder. So many of us, and some people would say it's West Michigan. I, I think it's everywhere. It doesn't really matter. I've lived all over the place. Um, the majority of people are most shaped by their family or lack thereof, and the experiences that they've had with family. But I am telling you now that what God desires of you is more significant than how others have wronged you. 
And so if you're known as for what, as, as, as everything and how everything has been cheated of you or how you've been wrong, if that's the first thing that comes out of your mouth, and maybe that's a, even a good way to think about it before we jump into his father's life, Jacob, but ha, are you most known for speaking about the promises of God or are you most known for how you have been wronged and cheated in your life? Like when someone says, hey, how are you doing? Oh, man, you just don't know. Like some of you just that, it's just been hard. Like, man, I, and, and you can't even forgive for anything. You're like, man, yeah, just, it's so hard. My brother's relationship, when was, when was the last time uh, you spoke to him? 27 years ago. Like at some point, you got to move past it. And again, I'm not making light of it. I am not making light of it. But I'm telling you now that the grace and the hope that is found in Jesus Christ is greater. This is how much Joseph's family impacted him. He's got this father by the name of Jacob. So I want to look at his life very, very quickly. And just to help you, I'm going to give you three words that we're going to look at that kind of categorize the life of Jacob. Because I could spend, I could spend two months on Jacob. All right. Um, I'm not going to, don't worry. Some of you just like sucked in like all the oxygen in the air. Um, but here, here's something right here. I, I would tell you birthright, family, and wrestling. So if you want to take notes, birthright, family, wrestling. Birthright, later on we're going to, I'm pairing all of you up, we're going to have a wrestling match. All right? Are you there? Are you here? You got it? Family? That's huge. Birthright's going to be big. Wrestling. We're going to walk through Jacob's life and see what type of lineage Joseph has. Because my lineage doesn't determine who I'm becoming nearly the way that the salvation through Jesus Christ does. Here's what we see. When it comes to the family of Jacob. In, Jacob, uh, in Genesis chapter 25, it begins with this. Genesis 25, 21 through 34. Um, man, looking at the life of Jacob. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So we're talking about Jacob, the father of Joseph. But the father of Jacob, of course, is Isaac. And Isaac is with his wife praying because she's pregnant. The Lord granted his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. That's good news, you think. Until later on, you find out that he was 60. Huh. The children struggled together within her. So here she's pregnant and it says the children. Why? Because she had twins within her. Jacob and who's his brother? Jacob and Esau. So here are Jacob and Esau and they're within her. And it says, why is, she goes, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire the Lord. Verse 23 says, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. I always refer to this because it, it speaks so much. Uh, recently, I just told you, Luke 15, prodigal son. Why was it significant that the prodigal son received the inheritance? Because he was a younger one. The older always received at least twice as much. So now, to say that the younger will be served by the older? Mm. So it start, it's letting you know the tension that's coming up. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first one came out red, all of his body like a hairy Sasquatch. So they called his name Esau. I'm just seeing if you're there. I'm like, hello. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So they named him what? Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she poured them. 60 When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, 
a man of the field. And while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Rebekah loved Jacob. I told you birthright right at this point in the story. It says once when Jacob was cooking stew. So all of a sudden it speaks about them having children, these twins, two nations within her womb. And now all of a sudden they're getting a little bit older. You see it pretty fast. And it says Jacob was cooking stew. Esau came in from the field. And he was exhausted. Now. This is what you have to remember. It says, when the boys grew up, this is verse 27, Esau was a skillful hunter. Jacob, it tells us, was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Jacob is the younger. And it says, Jacob was cooking stew. Esau came in exhausted from being out in the field, hunting, doing his thing. Like, you know, it's like all these students got 300 or whatever at student camp with the adults and all these things. Cool stuff is happening. And as you look at it, they're going to come back today. If you're a parent of one of those people, I'm sorry, because they haven't slept since Friday. All right. And they're exhausted and you make decisions like, right. So I've, I, I sometimes I'll fast two, three days. And as I, at the end of those two or three days, I. I'll eat about anything. Like, I don't like Brussels sprouts. I will pound them, right? Like, they're just, they're, when you're exhausted and you're tired or you're, if you're just famished, you're really hungry, you end up doing some things that maybe you would not do otherwise. And it tells us that he's exhausted. So Jacob said in his exhaustion, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright? Like right, right away, he didn't value what he had been given him because he didn't value what he had been given in a birthright. He neglected the value of that birthright. He neglected it. He threw it away. Now, do I, do I believe that God was going to use Jacob anyway? I do, but Jacob came about it in the wrong manner. He says, sell me your birthright right now. And Esau said, I'm about to die. What good is it to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He didn't value that which God had given to him. So here's Jacob coming about what was given, or he, he, he came about the wrong way. He took it, right? Um, we, we certainly rec, re, recognize very quickly that God's blessings and gifts are to be received, not taken. And Jacob is certainly someone who is, a, I, I would say, is a driven person, a driven person. He just knew what he want, wanted, and he would do anything he needed to get what he wanted. You know, do you know those people? They're just so driven and they're always going to push the envelope in terms of what's maybe ethical and moral. And they will always justify those things that may be unethical as long as they get what they want. Right. It's a person who they know they can do a tax write off if it's business based. And so they just class up. They will make up some type of they'll make a phone call to a friend over dinner and said, hey, you're one of my clients. Right. Yeah. OK. Click. And then they go, I can write this off. That's, that's pushing it, man. That's not even pushing it. It's unethical to me. I know right, right, right away, I just rubbed some of you the wrong way. I, but they were just right off absolutely everything, even if it's not really business. They're always going to push to advance self. Always going to push. Always going to push. Always gonna, I think that was Jacob. I think, that, I think that was Jacob. He certainly had what we would call an unethical procurement of birthright. 
And so here Jacob is exploiting Esau, got the birthright. He deceived his father in the process. Here's Jacob coming and outside of this birthright, one of the things that I think he didn't necessarily fully process, he gained the birthright. But remember, it says that he would go and dwell within the tent. His brother Esau was a what? Do you remember? A hunter. You just cheated a hunter. And you like to sit in the tent. So now, even though he has the birthright, he has to leave because he fears for his life. Sometimes I don't think he thought this through all the way. So now he leaves and he goes and he encounters his mom's brother, his uncle Laban. Yes, he ends up marrying two of his first cousins. Jacked up. That is messed up. There's no other way around it. This is, Jay, this is Joseph's father. Some of you are more known by the family you were raised by than the child that you are becoming in Jesus. You need to know the difference. So here, all of a sudden, what we see is Jacob having, I think, a genuine belief in God's promises. But now he's having to leave Esau because of fearing for his life. And it tells us in Genesis 30 and 31 that he goes, he escapes from Esau, ends up at the family farm from his uncle Laban, his mom's brother. And he worked for Laban for 21 years. Laban, part of this messed up family, dysfunctional family. Anybody have a dysfunctional family? This is one of them, right? We all have them because we all have sin. We all have selfishness at some point. And so now he's there for 21 years living there and he ends up helping Laban to prosper but Laban kept lying to him. He's like, man, he, so Laban saw how he was prospering because of Jacob being there. So he's like, hey, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. But he never actually fulfilled on his, came to fruition with his promises. And he, he also was a manipulator and a deceiver and a liar. And so all of this is happening. He's struggling with his relationship with his father-in-law. But they both continued in the relationship because they both benefited somehow. Hey, I don't really respect and like you, and I'm going to keep lying to you, but we're both prospering, so we'll just keep it going, I guess. Sounds horrendous to me. So then we see that for 21 years, Jacob is working for Laban, and he just kept breaking. Laban kept breaking these promises, a string of promises to him. One of them says he was even going to marry one of the daughters, and then he swapped them out, and then he ended up marrying both, and it's just a whole thing. Finally, Jacob wanted to return home. Now, before I get into that, are you starting to understand that here's Joseph, who I think is the greatest descendant of Abraham in which God displayed and fulfilled his promises. And he did it regardless of his family legacy and heritage and all the mistakes and all the problems. And the reason I'm stopping with this is what I have encountered here but other places as well is that so many people today are defined by how they have been wronged in the past by people rather than understanding how God is wanting to use them in the future I praise God for you heard Kimberly's story before a little bit of that and how God has restored and redeemed that life what I love so much about that is that she knows how to speak of what God is doing not about what 
others had done wrong to her. And again, as I said previously, I'm not downplaying those things. I'm not saying that they don't matter. They will shape us and they will influence us in significant ways. But when we allow them to have greater authority in our life than the redemption and the restoration that comes through Jesus, we're going to lose at the end of the day, friends. And I don't want that for you. Even though he had the birthright and then he had to leave all that and he had these family dynamics that were crazy, Jacob was now being called to go back home. They even convinced him to stay. Uh, in, Genesis, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 28, it, in essence, Laban looks at him and says, Hey, listen, if you stay, I'll just give you whatever you want. Name your wage. Wouldn't that be cool? I just, but I'm prospering with you. But uh, finally, what we see is Jacob says, I've got to go back. Plus, I think Jacob, it tells us in Genesis chapter 31, it tells us that Jacob knew that his time was wearing out, that Laban started to look at him differently, and that Laban's sons started to see him differently as well. But working for Laban is how he got wealthy. He was able to take everything that he had learned. He was also prospering. Laban was prospering. He was prospering. He learned everything. That's how he gained his own wealth. But in Genesis 31, it says this, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. So there's the wealth piece. Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before, and so the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So now it's time for Jacob to go home. How long had he been gone? 21 years. Who did he cheat before he had to leave? His brother. What was his name? Esau. Who was back home? Who was the hunter? Esau. All right, you're, you're putting this together. Oh, man, God's calling me to go back home. But my brother's there, and he's a hunter, and I'd rather dwell with tents. <laughs> like, oh, oh, boy. Um, what are we going to do now? Well, he's going to do this anyway. And he's going to go back home. He's nervous about going home because of Esau. And so what he starts to do, and we see this in Genesis chapter 32 primarily, but uh, what he starts to do is he starts to send his brother gifts. He started to butter his biscuit, right? That's a new language that we use here. I'm from the South originally, and that means to warm somebody up. Like, hey, okay, this is what we're going to do. So he starts to send him livestock and all types of gifts with other people to say, hey, coming to see you. I'm going to ask one thing that sometime today, everybody here uses the words, butter my biscuit, right? Um, I, that's what he's doing. Cause it's going to remind you, you're going to go, wait, here comes Jacob. He's like, I'm going to go back and see my brother Esau. So I'm going to start sending all these gifts. And then he ends up hearing that his brother Esau is coming to meet him and has 400 men with him. And of course he freaks out. Like, oh, my brother, who's the hunter who I cheated from the birthright and gained access to the family and then all kinds of other things. And then all of a sudden he's coming to meet me as I requested, but he's bringing 400 men. I'm done. And so he's sending him gifts and lives, all these different things. But he makes, he starts making his way to see his brother. Upon making his way to go see his brother, he comes into this river, the Jabbok, um, and it was flood season. And so he, even on his way, he divides his family up into two because he, he's helping to protect them. I hope that's what he's trying to do. And he's like, hey, you guys go over here. You guys go over here. And he's sending them all ahead. And it says he stayed behind. 
what I would like to think, and I know it's God's will that it would be happening this way, but I would like to think that he was just being a gentleman. Like I, I was raised when I walked beside my wife on a sidewalk, I'm always between her and the road, the traffic. It's just called being a gentleman to me, right? And so maybe he was kind of that t- type of mentality. And so he's allowing his family to go off and make sure that they all get across safely. And it tells us, and this is Genesis chapter th- uh, 32, 22 and following. He says, the same night he arose, took his two wives, right? Two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream, everything that he had. And in verse 24, it says, and Jacob was left alone. Now I told you, um, birthright, family, wrestling. Here comes the wrestling. He's left alone. And he encounters a man, ends up wrestling with him. Genesis 32, 24 and following. Ends up wrestling with him all night. That ends up being a, it really is God wrestling with him. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day, all night. And wrestling's exhausting. Anybody ever wrestled before? I wrestled, seventh grade, couldn't get over the outfit, changed. (laughs) If it's smaller than a bathing suit, I ain't wearing it. You know what I'm saying? I ain't done it. Wrestle with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is break, broken. But Jacob said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Now he walked different for the rest of his life. I think this is the most transformative time of Jacob's life where God stepped in and he let him know, listen, I'm the one in charge. And I know that you're a person of passion and zeal and drive, good for you. But it's about my will, not your will. Touched his hip and said, you're going to walk with the limp. These are the things that not only define the life of Jacob, but I am certain impacted Joseph. Finally, Jacob, after wrestling with God, goes and he crosses that river and he encounters Esau. And Esau actually welcomed him and didn't even want to receive all the gifts that Jacob, Jacob had sent to him. But Jacob forced him to receive all of those gifts. And God worked. He's given a new name. It tells us, please tell me your name in verse 29 of chapter 32. He says, why don't you ask my name? And he says, Jacob. And he says, well, your new name? Israel. Israel. Because God was going to use him to fulfill his promises to his, his grandfather, to Abraham. And God was going to do remarkable things. But yet I look at the life of someone like a Joseph and I look at his father, Jacob, and I go, man, how did Joseph really, because I think Joseph is just a remarkable man of God. In fact, he's one of the guys in the Old Testament that we don't see fall over and over like David, David with Bathsheba, right? Or like Moses killing an Egyptian. 
and having to leave for 40 years and go into the desert and be with his father-in-law Jethro, right? Seems to be a theme here. All these different things begin to happen. And yet Joseph is one of these individuals who we just see living so deeply in the presence of God that he was able to move past a dysfunctional family. Are you able to move past your dysfunctional family? He was able to move past how he had been cheated by his brothers who sold him into slavery. He was able to move, to move past by being lied about by some woman who he was unwilling to sleep with. He was able to move past and to overcome all of these worldly things. And my worry as I look around today at so many people is that we're so captivated by how we've been wronged and cheated. We have forgotten that we have victory through Christ. And some of us don't know how to live life without being angry about how we've been wronged. And yet one of the greatest examples and witnesses that we have to the world around us is when they see us be eager to forgive because we know that we have been forgiven. But we hold on to it. You don't know what they did to me. But God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of redemption. God is in the business of taking broken things, dysfunctional families, horrific things in the past, and restoring and renewing them for his good. That's the God that we serve. That's what we get to live in. And I don't think, I just want everybody to live in that. I don't see a lot of people doing it sometimes. When you can more easily tell me how you have been cheated rather than how you have been righted by salvation through Jesus, we've gotten something wrong. So Esau goes to Jacob. God renews. Even tells him in Genesis 33, verse 10, it says that Jacob saw him and said, truly to you, to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And there's human recon- reconciliation. I think one of the reasons that there's human reconciliation is because we see Jacob being reconciled first to God. Calls him to walk with the limb, but there's reconciliation. As we walk through this series, and this is going to be one of the challenges, we're going to have a big challenge as we walk through this series, I think. You're going to hear different stories of transformation. You're going to hear people like Kimberly share how they have overcome so many different things. and They live in the promises of God. But there are two primary themes that we're going to be looking at over and over in a variety of ways. One is this. God works in his way, not yours. can't tell you the number of people that I have spoken to throughout life who struggle with the fact that God didn't do things their way. But God works in his way. It's one of the greatest lessons that we have. God works in his way. God works in his way. God works in his way. When we would say, why would you use Jacob who is manipulative and deceptive? And maybe you have somebody in your family. Uh, maybe you have that person who's just passive aggressive. Anybody have a person who's passive aggressive in their family? Anybody? Maybe you have somebody who just, they don't know how to not make it about them. 
can we not make this about you, please? This isn't about you. You asked me how my week was. I'm telling you, how did my week become your week? Right? And you look at the family dysfunction and you look at all these different things. And some of us, we don't know how to live life apart from how we've been treated previously. But God works in his way. God works in his way, not yours. What's well, not fair that God's using them the way that he's using them? Okay. <laughs> it's not a problem for me. God's God, I'm not. God's sovereign, I'm not. God's all-knowing, I'm not. God's all-powerful, I'm not. Another thing is, it's not only that God works in his way, and that's going to be something that we see in the life of Joseph, but because Joseph so lived in the presence of God, if, the majority of people who lived the life of Joseph would have been so angry, so resentful, so bitter, so hostile, just all of that living in their life. That's the majority of people. But because Joseph chose to live in such presence of the living God so deeply, Every one of those became opportunities for people to see grace demonstrated. Every time. Right? It's the same thing as the, the majority of people knowing how to say, yeah, but you don't know what they did to me more than being able to say, but let me tell you what God has done for me. God knew how to speak about what, Joseph knew how to speak about what God had done for him. And he lived in, the, in God's presence in deep ways. And then also, one of the things that we're going to learn is that blessings, this is big, blessings are not without struggle. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Blessings are not without struggle. I think that, I think wrestling with God and walking with the limp was the best thing that ever happened to them. Blessings are not without struggle. And there's going to be struggles. There's going to be hardship, but you can overcome them when you focus more on how God still chooses to use you and to step into your life. And he's still, he's still just showering, showering us with his grace and his love and his forgiveness. Blessings are not without struggle. Can I encourage you, even maybe that's what you want to do this week as we're preparing to walk through this series, is maybe you want to step aside with a friend this week and say, hey, let's talk about how we've seen God work and God bless in the midst of struggle. Two questions for you to think about. Are you most shaped by your earthly experience today? Or are you most shaped by God's promises? And some of you don't know how to move beyond your past in order to live in the fullness of God's future. That's just reality. I had an individual walk up to me after one of the services earlier today, and they just said, Pastor, I know you're right, but it bothers me. I don't know how to do it. And I'm already thanking God for how 
God is going to step into that person's life and restore. Does living in the presence of God matter more than living in the presence of others? These are just questions for you to think about. I think Joseph was so concerned about living in the presence of God that he was able to sometimes look past living with the results of others and how they treated him. I mean, here's this guy who grew up with a father who did so many wrong things. And yet God used him. And he overcame so much in his life. What's one thing that you think you need to be able to overcome so that you can more fully live in the presence of God? What's the one thing that you go, I need to release this. Some of you may need to make a phone call later today and go, Dad, I forgive you. You are never home for me, but I forgive you. Some of you need to call a mother or a father and say, you never hugged me and never said I love you, but I know I'm loved by God and I love you anyway. I cannot tell you the number of men that I have met living in this place who said, I've never heard I love you from my father. I go, really? And then I look at him, I said, let me tell you about the heavenly father and the love that he has for you. What do you need to overcome so that you can more fully live in the greatness of God? He is a God of restoration, yes? He is a God of redemption, yes? He is a God of renewal, yes? So let's overcome the past and start living more according to what he has for us rather than what others have done to us because no matter how hard that is, his love, grace, forgiveness is always greater. Always. So we're going to see a lot of people overcome a whole lot of hurt and a whole lot of struggles in the next several months. And we're going to watch a church, a group of people step out and demonstrate for the world what it is to live in the presence of God rather than to live according to what others have done to us. Because that's called victory in Christ. Amen. May we overcome see his power. God, I come before you. I thank you. I love you. I praise you. I cherish the fact that we get to encounter you and to overcome problems in this world. And again, I'm not making light of those, but I know that your grace is greater than every one of those. And I give you thanks. Wake us up to hear your voice, to know your presence and to live with you fully. In Christ's name, amen.